those of you online, we welcome you to worship today as well. We are finishing the series we began in late August, which seems like 10 years ago, but um, 2 Corinthians, this letter Paul writes to the Corinthians, and uh, we called it Gritty Spirituality, the theme of this letter. It's, uh, it's spirituality, it's relationship with God, but it's pretty gritty. Started with uh, don't waste your pain and kind of went from there. And uh, today, a bit of a, I just chose a fairly religiously stuffy title. It's just a timeless benediction. But in that word benediction, we can find our life story. And I love, I've come to love that word. The word benediction, because we're going to be reading, studying the last verse of 2 Corinthians, which is Paul's benediction. What's a benediction? Well, benediction is, is first of all, a short blessing, which normally ends a church service, a worship service. But, but here's where your story and mine get woven in with it. It's something that promotes goodness and wellness. It's a blessing pronounced over us that pronounce, promotes goodness and wellness. And how many here would be up for some goodness and wellness? <laughs> Well, well, there you go. So I, I thought we'd begin before we get to the Second Corinthians benediction with a few sam- examples of this in the Bible. And one of the most well-loved ones is number six, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Talk about a powerful pronouncement of wellness and blessing. When, when God doesn't turn his face from us, but when he turns his face towards us, this is his favor intersecting the story of our lives. Or Hebrews 13, this is a rather long sentence, but I do happen to love this benediction right near the end of he, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he, I love this sentence, may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Sometimes when I meditate on that benediction, I say, Jesus, do that. Work in me what pleases you. Through Jesus Christ, to whom? Be glory forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Then verse 24 of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Wow. To him who's actually able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And once again, we say, amen. And I love this one, too. I love all of these. I think during the third week of January and our central moments, those daily devotionals I do, we're going to be looking at some of these in depth. But I love this one as well. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. What a benediction this is. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. 
Well, I'm up for that. Just through and through, may you, may you set him, you apart to himself. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful benediction. And then the benediction that will end this gritty letter. After talking about our pain and talking about the relational conflict that Paul had between some of the members of this church and talking about living between two worlds and what to do when you get sized up in wrong ways and good guilt and bad guilt, all these subjects that we visited in 2 Corinthians, what would Paul choose as his last verse of this letter, his final benediction? Well, here it is, and it's going to sound familiar. In fact, I'd like you to read it out loud with me. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Does that sound familiar? That's the one I choose to often close our services with. Now, when I was studying engineering, um, I, I studied calculus for years, of course, and all that necessary stuff, and I loved it all. And sometimes when you solve equations, sometimes, sometimes the solutions would be sort of approximate and complicated and clunky. And when you solve the equations, when we as engineering students would solve equations and there wasn't like a, a clean, simple solution, we'd just say, ah, oh, close enough for government work. And you had to understand engineering student, student subculture to get that. But no offense to those of you who work for the government. But once in a while, a beautiful solution would fall out of these equations. And, and we would say, now that is an elegant solution. And this benediction, to me, is pure spiritual elegance. And, and we would say a solution to an equation was elegant because of two things. First of all, it was simple. So here we have... It's not a long, long sentence. It's, it's, it's short enough that even an eighth grader could memorize this easily. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And it's got something that we engineers also love in its symmetry. It's just three symmetric phrases. Each phrase pivots around the word of in a symmetric way. The grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so there's just a beautiful simplicity to this verse. But we would also say that solutions to equations were, were elegant, not, not only because they're, they're simple and clean and clear, but because they're comprehensive. They, they, they hit on all the bases. I mean, they covered all the bases. And I'm amazed at the breadth of this verse. First of all, you see all three persons of the Godhead the Trinity here, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the word Trinity isn't a Bible word, but it's used to describe what we see in the Bible. There's only one God, we don't serve several gods, we serve one God, and yet he's revealed in three persons. And, and people push back, you know, and they say, that's a logical contradiction. Pastor, you have engineering degrees. How could you believe that? Well, I will tell you, engineering made it easy for me to believe this. 
Now, you don't have to understand the next two minutes, but you'll get the point, I think. <laughs> Quantum mechanics says particles at the subatomic level can be both points, compact points, and diffuse waves at the same time. How can you be a point and a wave at the same time? And the very act of observing it will change how that subatomic particle looks, a point or a wave. That blows, blows my mind. I go three and one's nothing compared to quantum mechanics. And then, and then kind of the holy grail of scientific investigation these days is what, what they call TOE, TOE, the theory of everything. And it's, it, it, it's, the, it, it's the theory that kind of unites the four fundamental forces of the universe, which are gravity, electromagnetism, and the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. And we find that try, it's almost impossible to solve the unifying equations if you have three dimensions of space, which would be height, width, and depth, and one dimension of time. We live in a four-dimensional world, three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. However, the solutions, this would be what string theory is about, we think the, if string theory is valid, the solutions become elegant, they become simple and cover all the bases if you assume not four dimensions, but 11 dimensions. And from four dimensions, you can't possibly visualize 11 dimensions. Like in even four dimensions of space, you could turn a basketball inside out without breaking its outer surface. I mean, it's impossible to visualize. You can do this mathematically. And sometimes people say to me, I'll only believe it if I see it. Or that just seems like a modern, that just seems like a logical contradiction. And I say to myself, they've obviously never taken theoretical physics. <laughs> I mean, three and one's like a no-brainer. I mean, I'd come out of these classes just in awe of the, you know, three and one, God, you mean it's not more complicated than that? So here you have, in this elegant benediction, you have, you have one God who's revealed himself as the person of the Lord Jesus, the Son, the person of the Father, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and what especially amazes me is that with each one of these persons of the Trinity, he associates one of our greatest, one of our three greatest needs as a human being. First of all, associated right in the middle. I think this is why Paul puts it, the love of God in the middle. That's the foundation for everything else. Our Heavenly Father so loved the world that he gave his son. So, so God's love is the fountainhead. It's the foundation of everything else. And then associate, and, and every human being I know needs love. And then associated with the son, God out of his love sent his son and he associates grace with him. And grace is first because that's his focal point surrounding the center of God's love. So he puts that phrase first. This is his focus to come to us with grace through what Jesus did when he came to die for us on the cross and rise again. And, and, and so it's the grace of the Lord. Every one of us needs favor. Every one of us needs, needs favor. We don't deserve it. We need forgiveness. Every one of us, every human being needs love. Every human being needs grace. And every person, every human being needs relationships. And, and so the follow-through to all of this, if, if love is the 
is the fountainhead of it and grace is, is the focus of God's work in us, then the follow-through is, is a relationship scenario. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that we're not alone, that we walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to just, just if, you will, if you will just follow with me, we're going to take these three phrases in order and look at those three essential to, to our human need, grace, love, and fellowship, and how each person of the Trinity brings these to us. It starts with the grace of our Lord Jesus. Now that word grace is in the Greek language of Paul's writing, the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. We would get the word charitable in English from that word, or the word charisma. And, and, and it has to do, it can be translated grace, it can also be translated favor. That's the kind of God's faces towards us word, favor. And, and, and this, this is amazing. Uh, you've heard me quote Tim Keller on this one several times if you've been around for a while. I, I love, but I love how Keller puts it. He says grace, because of grace, you and I as human beings, we can't swagger and we can't snivel. You know, because we can't swagger because there's nothing to be proud of. This is God's charity to us. It's not like we impressed him. There's nothing to brag about here. So we can't swagger and neither can we snivel. You know, because we sometimes want to live in this, we think it's humility, but it's not, it's unbelief. We, it's living short of the grace of God. We say, oh, I don't know if God wants to answer my prayer, or I don't think I'm that a good a Christian, or, uh, you know, after what I did 10 years ago, I don't think God could ever do anything special for me. And we live with this spiritual insecurity. And grace just makes your insecurities irrelevant. I mean, you can't, you can't deserve it. I mean, I mean, if grace... I mean, if, if grace was something you could earn, we'd call it a wage. If, if it was something you could win, we'd call it a prize. If it was grace was something we deserved, we'd call it an award. But it's none of that. It's God's charity towards us. It's God's favor towards us, independent of anything we deserved. In fact, Paul picks up this idea of grace in Ephesians 2 uh, when we first meet Jesus. This is how you become a Christian. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Ephesians 2, verse 9, verse 8. And this is not from yourselves. It is the what? It's not the award of God. It's not, it's not the prize of God. It's not the wages that God pays you for something you did. It's the gift of God. This is his charity to you. This is charis. This is God's grace to you. It is the gift of God. And then just so we don't miss it, he adds on verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. This, this is it. Now, a friend of mine, this past week I wrote um, an endorsement for a book that's going to be published by Tyndale next year. It's not published yet. But Jeff Peabody was a student, a college student, in the church I pastored in Southern California a number of years ago. And he's now a pastor. And he wrote a wonderful book called Perfectly Suited about his own journey through grace. And he puts it this way. Our experiences and training conspire to tell us everything hangs on our capacity to achieve our way to God. And, and we've been shaped to consider grace as more of a backup quarterback who only gets called into play when things are especially dire for them. 
But what Paul is saying when he say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. He's saying, may you live day by day in the outflow of God's favor to you that you can't possibly own. And sometimes everything inside of us screams, I've got to deserve it. And God says, then that it's not going to be grace. You can only intersect grace, therefore, by faith, not by striving, not by trying harder, but by faith, you simply get over your squirming, you get over your sense of inadequacy, or you let your inflated ego get chopped down to size and let God do something for you you never deserved in the first place. This is the grace of God, and it's his favor. And it's interesting that in our worship time last week, we were singing this song, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow, because he is the source of it all. And there was a refrain that we sang that, that, that just said, there's a breaking in my favor. And when we were singing that last week, we were talking about the outflow of God's grace. It's, it's his favor. Grace is more than just being forgiven. Grace is, is, is favor, just the constant outflow of God towards us. So a lady in our church wrote me, a wonderful woman of God. She wrote, she wrote me and Pastor Josh especially, and uh, she, she said, I want to give a praise report this morning, which was one of the days this past week. said, I woke up to this going through my spirit and mind. There's a breaking in my favor. That song we sang last Sunday morning. She just couldn't get it out of her spirit. And we say there's a breaking. Something in the spiritual realm is breaking towards us, of God's favor towards us. And she said, I woke, up, I woke today with those words. There's a breaking in my favor. And she said, you see, and God's favor happens in all kinds of ways in our lives. But listen to this. You see, yesterday, while my husband was getting Christmas decorations down from the top of a closet and handing them to me, I tripped and fell hard on my hands and knees on, slate, on a slate floor. And my left knee started swelling immediately with severe pain. It went down my leg and in my hips and back. And my husband got me up and took me to a chair and put my leg up on, and he began to pray for me. I laid hands on my knees and my husband laid hands on my head and we began to pray for healing in Jesus' name. And I went to bed still thanking our Lord for my healing even though I felt like a truck had hit me. Then, waking this morning, it happened. While waking, that phrase was going through and through me. There's a breaking in my favor. There's a breaking in my favor. And I felt this warmth from inside going through my left leg, my knee, my hips, and my back. It wasn't a warmth from the blankets. I could tell it was a healing warmth from our wonderful Lord. And all I could do was start praising our God. Now I have no more pain. Oh, praise to God, our wonderful healing Lord. There's a breaking in our favor. I don't understand God's sovereignty. I don't understand the whens and the hows of how he does it. But when Paul said, may the grace of the Lord be yours, he was saying, may you live in that reality that there's a breaking in your favor. It doesn't exempt us from pain, but it does break in our favor. This is the grace. This is his face up shining upon us, him turning his face towards us and giving us peace. This is, this is God's grace towards us. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the favor of God. And then he goes to the foundation of it all. That's the love of God. Paul said, may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God be with all of you. 
All of you little stinkers out there, he's thinking, who don't like me. I mean, he's been through that in the previous chapters. I know what you think of me. But it doesn't matter what you think of me or what I think of you. There's a God who loves you in spite of you. And he loves you because you are his creation. So he says, may the love of God, may the love of God be yours. And that's what changes life. John, in 1 John 4, this is love. Not love how we define it or how we first acted it. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because he sent his son. He loved us so much. To be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Let's stick with Greek words here. The Greek word is agape. Agape. Now, there are several words in the Greek language that Paul's writing in for love, as, as many of you know. In English, we generally have just one word, love. So I can say, I love pizza and I love my wife, and use the same verb, love. My wife doesn't appreciate that, actually, but um, she likes to think there's a qualitative difference between loving her and loving pizza. But we only have that one word to work with. The Greek language, though, gives several words. You have the word eros, from which we get our word erotic, and that would mean I see something of beauty in a flower or a person, and I'm drawn to it, eros. Or there's storge, that's family love. I'm related. We grew up together. He's my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. I mean, that's, that's storge, that's family bond love. And then there's philos. This is, this is it can be, you'd use that word for loving a friend, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Or that's your pizza word. You know, it's not only fondness, but tastiness, right? And so you'd use that Greek verb for that kind of love for pizza in the Greek. And then there's agape. Now, I made a very good friendship with a Bible scholar when I was pastoring on the West Coast who attended our church, Bill Williams, Dr. Bill Williams. He helped translate part of the New International Version, Old Testament. And I was sitting in a group, and I was listening to him talking about that word agape. And at first, I, I got a little offended, just the way he built it. He went through those were eros, storge, family love, philos, you know, fondness and tastiness. And then, and then he went to agape, and he said, actually, this was, and obviously, it was, it, it, it was the word used in the Bible to translate God's love, agape. But he said, this is the most generic word for love in the Greek language. And I was a little offended. I thought... No, don't call God's love generic. Like he was saying, this is kind of the blandest word, the plainest word. And then he described why. He said the Christian community seized on that word because that word required no precondition. Eros requires attractiveness to operate. Storge requires I be related to you to have that family love. Philos means at least I like you or I like the pizza. But, but agape is totally unattached to any precondition. It doesn't act because it perceives value in another, but in its acting, it imparts value. And that's the love of God. No wonder grace falls out of the love of God. This is the love that God has for you and me, the unbelievable, amazing love. It requires 
nothing of value in us other than he created us and he loves us and then he doesn't explain why. He just loves us. And in the act of agape love to you and me, he doesn't require the starting point of value in us to merit that love, but rather in his loving he imparts value and dignity and worth. And you have value and dignity and worth because God who created you, loves you. This is agape. And then the follow-through to that, the follow-through to that is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He's really building it here. He's building it. This sort of got taken out of our hands. God loved us when we couldn't do a thing to deserve it. And he showed us favor and grace because of what Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, and just asking us to receive it gratefully with faith. And may you live in the favor of God, he says. And may you never forget that behind that favor and grace is the love of God. So may you live in the favor of the Lord Jesus and what he's purchased for you at the cross because of a love of God that you can't change. You're loved whether you want to be or not. You're valued by the holy God no matter what you think of yourself. And the follow-through to that is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, and this is familiar because this is the benediction I usually choose to, to, to pronounce over you when we close most of our Sunday morning services. And once in a while, I'll just amplify on that last phrase and say, you don't need to leave the presence of God here. You take it with you. You live in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word is koinonia for fellowship, koinonia. It's a wonderful word. It's a very relational word. Uh, when I was doing Chi Alpha campus ministry, university ministry, uh, we would call, we, you know, here we call our small groups life groups, but we would call those groups koinonia groups. Those, it's such a together word. It's such a let's do this together word and let's love being together word. But, but here's, here, here's my sort of word picture for koinonia. It's that glow in your heart. It's that glow that you have in your heart after spending an evening with great friends. Have you ever felt that glow? You've just been with great friends, and there's nothing like it, and there's a glow in your heart. We, well, Paul's saying the God who loves you and has opened the door to himself through favor that you can't deserve through what he did through his son, Jesus Christ. He wants the glow of a relationship with you to literally fire your heart and mark your heart. He wants you to walk in the glow of his presence. In fact, Romans 15 verse 13 talks about the spirit-saturated life, the Holy Spirit-saturated life. And it's like this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said the night before he was crucified to his followers, I'm going to heaven, but you're not going to be alone. No, I'm going to send what he called the comforter, literally the one called alongside to help. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to go and sit at the right hand of the heavenly father till the day I come back to this world, which is still someday yet. 
But meanwhile, I'm going to give you the presence of God. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God's not so secret agent on the earth. The Holy Spirit's God's active presence. And you can live a spirit-immersed life. And this is what he said. You can be filled with hope. You can have joy and peace in a pretty rugged world as you trust in him. And you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can live spirit-immersed life. We can live in the presence of God day after day, just receiving the favor of God and however he may choose to bring it to your life. And it's all because of love that God has for you that you can't change. This is the amazing reality of the love of God. I have my days I can be sort of grumpy and I can get on all autopilot and I can just be doing my thing and, you know, and, and one of the great, probably one of the great challenges in my life is just live constantly with my ear attuned to his voice and my heart conscious of his presence. And Paul is saying to these Corinthians who, who were, in spite of how they treated Paul, they were still the beautiful church of Jesus Christ. They were still recipients of the grace of the Lord Jesus. They were still objects of the unconditional love of God. And he says to them, may you walk in the conscious awareness of the presence of God. May you just have koinonia. May your heart just glow with the presence of God and the fact that the Holy Spirit's not a force. This is not, may the force be with you. That's not what Paul said. He wasn't thinking Star Wars. He's not saying, may it be with you. May so, he wasn't saying, may some good thought or some positive thought be with you. He was saying, may he, the person of the Holy Spirit, may he live life with you every moment. And sometimes I, I, I get off that, you know, and so it helps, especially when I'm getting a little grumpy, it helps me just to be grateful. I don't know about you, but just sometimes just saying, thank you, Lord. I just see your goodness and your love behind every good thing today and, and, and just helps me be aware of his presence. Sometimes it's just, you know, I don't feel like praying. It's just praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. I'll walk the halls here between meetings and just pray in tongues. Say, God, I just love you. Sometimes it's just coming back to our first core value of a church. Just say, God, I just need you. I know I'm, I'm walking in a meeting. I know I got to do this today and that tomorrow. And, 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 you know, and I know I might forget to pick up milk for Sandy on the way home like she asked me to. I'm, I, you know, I got all this stuff on me. But Lord, I, I just need you. And I'm just going to lean on you right now. And I just honor you. And I'm hungry for you. And then sometimes I just stick in my earbuds, you know, and turn on that worship music. And just try to live in the presence of God. And begin to worship him and put my eyes on him. We used to sing an old song, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what? The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace in the light of koinonia in the light of charis in the light of the agape love of God we can walk in this we can walk in this hallelujah will you stand with me